0: We're in business to save the planet and we use making clothes to do that.
1: The cure for depression is action. Every one of us has to step up and do what you can according to what your resources are. Hello friends, that was the voice of Patagonia's Yvonne Chouinard and this is Type 2, a podcast from Looking Sideways in association with Patagonia that explores the intersection between the outdoors, action sports and activism In each show, I've been meeting people who are using their passion and involvement with the cultures we all love to create change. We've been discussing the issues they're involved in, the change they're seeking to create, the difficulties involved and the rewards that follow. In this week's episode, I'm chatting to Nick Hayes, an illustrator, graphic novelist, political cartoonist and author of The Book of Trespass. He's also an activist who uses art and creativity as a tool to try and change the world. There's a grand tradition of this in the history of English art and protest. And for me, you can draw a direct link between Nick's work and those other peculiarly English artists who combine art and protest to reclaim the way we see our history, ask us to reconsider how we use our land and above all, ask a direct and increasingly important question. Who is this place for? Historically, I'm thinking of people like Hogarth, Cobbett, Blake, These days I would include people such as Ben Wheatley, Ben Myers, Mark Jenkin and Nick's great hero Roger Deakin, all of whom explore these themes through their work and in different ways nod to this occasionally unsettling strain of anarchical, magical with a K weirdness. In the homogenised monoculture we generally live in today, such a take can be jarring and somewhat discomforting which is something that we did discuss in this conversation. But if you ask me, we need these perspectives more than ever, because these are fundamental questions, particularly when it comes to land use and ownership and the dark history that led us to this point. And these are the themes which are the main preoccupations of Nick's work. Through his work on campaigns such as The Right to Rome* and Esme Bogart*, Nick is challenging the monolithic conventions that shape our lives and he's inviting us to ask these wider questions for ourselves. He's also, as I suspected he might be, a brilliant conversationalist with a wide palette of cultural and historical touch points and an ability to communicate his ideas with wit and clarity. So this is a great one, a really wide-ranging, frank and opinionated exchange, and that's just from me, that roved widely, Took in the right to Rome, Englishness, Westerns, Wind in the Willows, storytelling, how art has the power to save the world, and why Prince Harry is really an anti monarchy sleeper agent. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Um, being the guy behind ZTT, if you know what that is, ZT, oh, ZTT was the record label of uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood right, and okay. um, he, I mean they were like massively inspired by like situationists and you, you know that's why like Frankie goes to Hollywood and, and all that was basically like an art project mm, you know like mm. it was
0: about the videos it was yeah a little, little bit close yeah, a I little bit about. like
1: that yeah and um, so Trevor Horn was the producer and Paul Morley was like the in-house um, PR guy Situationist marketing guru. Okay. Um, anyway, so he's now like a bit of a talking head about like Mancunian culture, poor Molly. So he was on Great Lives doing Tony Wilson, and to bring it back to the point, like Matthew Paris was, he's like really sniffy about it. He was basically like, Tony Wilson, I'm not having it. You know, why? Why should we have him on Great Lives? He kind of really made him work oh, nice. hard okay. to like to do it. Yeah. And and he's quite. Uh, what I found quite interesting about the one with you was, he was quite. Well, In was he was quite sold on Roger Deakin, he seemed mm, like he mm. he he kind of got it like straight mm. away, which is not not what he always does, you know. Like, he can be a bit of a curmudgeon sometimes, about oh, the way.
0: Ne- I've never heard,
1: yeah, Great Lives basically. I mean, I've I never, just listen like, to it, listen you know, when it. there's like one that I'm that I'm interested in. Of course, the interesting thing about Matthew Paris is you know, he swam the Thames the at Limehouse, didn't he? I was
0: going to do a graphic novel about that for me. That's a symbol of just freedom, yeah uh like li- feeling but also embodied freedom like i'm just gonna do it and yeah. i and i'm i don't know the risks necessarily yeah uh and they seem quite strong because the Thames thumps you know the thames is a he got the tide wrong as well didn't he yeah so I, like yeah yeah so he ended up like he half ended up mile he ended up quite far i mean
1: ball. you know it's a fuck. it's a pretty fucking ballsy thing to do that i mean i'm a you know I, I swim a lot i swim outdoors a lot and i've mm. certainly been in london and looked to the thames and thought oh you know what about yeah, that then? It a and it, it's yeah. a violent looking river at points yeah when it's in full yeah. spate and yeah totally you know you look at it and you're like yeah i wouldn't, wouldn't really fancy that and people do die there obviously every year
0: i'm almost a little bit emotionally scared of the thames as well there's something uh like at, at night when it's um pitch black outside and you go for a swim. Uh, and the water has a certain kind of inky darkness there is kind of a spooky thing that it draws you in it feels quite bewitchingly dangerous as well so i i tend to keep it at arm's length
1: i always feel like when you swim either in deep water or in, in dark water there is that primordial thing inside you isn't there you know which which you can't avoid I don't think mm. I, don't, I don't think you can shrug that off like mm. I certainly you know if you're in the middle of the ocean and you jump in the sea you're a bit like you can't help but have that I mean it must be ingrained I think in us yeah. as humans you know to sort of it's probably
0: a safety thing isn't yeah it? but but weirdly the, the bit that makes me think it's not a safety thing is the draw that it has for you to go deeper or there's some there's something a little bit the sirens of Odysseus about it. It's yeah. just like so beautiful and so still and so dark. But, you know, there's a danger to it as well. And like, oh, I don't know. So, yeah, the tens, when it's when it's swollen, you know, when it's really big, I, I it has that same kind of thing. You want to put your body in it. Yeah. Just to, because, I mean, if you look at the turns outside, they go shooting past the duck hatch, at the moment, you know, there's currently. Yeah, so when strong. I walk
1: top, there's a lot around aren't there at the minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as I walk past they're all like Rawr, you know? Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. They yeah. go
0: to the top. But the moment they land in the river, they just it's like a water flume. I mean it's they end up so, in London. So in the,
1: I might just get you to hold it away from the joint. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's it. Just yeah, it's sorry. a crackling. Yeah, a little bit. It's all good. Yeah. Time. Um so this is you were saying, you know, on the point of it's clearly about to flood, isn't it? I think
0: so. Uh that that's half the um excitement of it you just don't know you know you what you look at the weather reports and uh, there's all sorts of websites that sort of estimate or but any kind of something like that it's just sort of you can't rely on it can you it's it's humans needing certainty so you look three days ahead to see how much it's going to rain yeah and that's just there to kind of quell your nerves about it for the moment it has no bearing at all on what the weather's going to be like yeah
1: so if you had to do better Presumably, a bit of prep to in readiness. For yeah, you've got bosh
0: in the scaff poles. Yeah. I've got pretty much every line running from my boat is stapled down by my girlfriend's a um, climber, so she's got some pretty good knots yeah. that I still haven't learned. But yeah, she right. went and secured them, and uh, yeah, you know. So I'm feeling, you know, touch wood. Uh, I feel all right, but it's it's basically I think Storm Eugene came like late february or something so it's the spring gales that are the real because the river's full yeah and then when the winds come it can get quite hairy yeah so you know the majority everyone thinks winter's bleak but it's actually just february yeah That's a bastard
1: yeah we just bought a place in uh normandy me and my missus that we're going to try and like do up and sort of go off grid and all that stuff and classic that's
0: that's so the dream isn't it
1: yeah yeah it's been a well it's my wife's dream to be fair she's um she's piloted piloted the whole thing but yeah we were over so we spent a lot of time over there recently you're right like february because we've been going there different times of the year just to try and get our heads around the climate and the environment Mm. and understand like you know like like you're talking about and yeah we were there last february and it was absolutely it was by far the grimmest month and everybody was like yeah february is just just shocking (laughs) you know like you say everything's full it's constant rain you're at the end of the winter and you just you basically you're over aren't you but then you get that beautiful you know, beginning of March, then the catkins come, and yeah. you know it's
0: perfect. I mean, God designed it just right. Yeah, but just when your morale is gone, it gets you know, more important to me dev. that as I get
1: older as well. Really? Like I didn't, I didn't used to. I really didn't used to make any. I was, I was cognizant of the seasons, obviously, mm. but it wasn't something that I particularly was emotionally attached to. And I've noticed in the last few years that I've it's become, especially spring, has become increasingly important for morale <laughs> yeah yeah you know? and and also just to appreciate it more like yeah. the, the change and
0: i've always felt it quite um you know when you're young you can't quite map it uh, or plot it out on a graph but yeah around autumn time i get very sort of uh nostalgic and uh, slightly melancholic kind of thing as it yeah. gets into november uh by christmas i'm like happy as pie because i'm like you know by the stove and carving away or you it's know pretty, it I mean, it's really pretty snug. it's
1: pretty cozy in here isn't it it is you warm <laughs> it's lovely yeah. yeah oh that's good how long everyone have...
0: walks past the boat and you know the wife always says how romantic and the husband always goes oh yeah but it's it... cold in winter yeah yeah, and you're yeah. Like, well no not at all How it's long not you...
1: it's snug how long have you been on it
0: a couple of years bit over now uh so it was kind of a lockdown thing um we bought the boat and bought it new, empty, and then so uh, empty except for the electrics and uh, some of the cladding. And then uh, just, yeah, did it up kind of bit by bit. Kind yeah. Of thing. Still yeah. hasn't got a bathroom or a shower or, I mean, it's got the room, but it hasn't got the... Yeah, yeah, next step. You know, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was really interested on the Great Lives thing. I mean, I thought a couple of things struck me. First one is, I think there's a claim to say Waterlog might be the most influential nonfiction book of last. Was it when was it published? Like ninety
0: nine or something. Yeah, I I mean
1: the influence of that book, as the years go on, just becomes more more noticeable, doesn't it? You Mm. know, like it, 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 the tentacles of it, of and of his vision of the of Mm. of of the outdoor world and, and the natural world is, is is just probably more than he would have ever imagined. I would have thought.
0: Well, yeah, I am I wonder if... You'd have probably hoped it, because um, cause he wasn't just writing about rivers and he wasn't just writing about water. He was sort of writing about freedom and the sense that you can, you can make of your life what you, you know, di- directly proportion to the amount of effort yeah. you do it. So there's always this sense when you're writing a... I guess fiction and non-fiction, but certainly for the Book of Trespass, you just feel you haven't got your publisher's deal. You haven't got any kind of uh, approval from society at that point. You're just a nutter with uh, a load of maps on his desk going, I'm going to do this. And certainly for me, you know, in the middle of uh, a a kind of Duke of Rutland's estate or something, you know, like Sleepless Night for Chapter 6, you're there just on your own in however many thousand acres freezing your ass off, thinking like, God, you know, I hope this pays off because otherwise I'm just a weirdo in a sleeping bag in a field kind of thing. So I feel like he... I, I, yeah, I, I think Roger Deacon... I think that book... Like, I, I wonder how much... it's. It's obviously down to his writing, down to his vision... Not taken away from any of that, but some books become kind of lightning rods yeah, for they do. electricity that's already there in the air. Yeah,
1: you know? exactly, yeah. exactly. And it, the other thing that struck me from listening to your conversation on that was that was was reading that and your and and the influence of him and what's put you on the path that you're on now. Because you, cause you you mentioned that you think essentially his work is about freedom and also like reclaiming the right to live your life the way you want to live, mm. and that obviously seems to be a very central theme of your work. You know, obviously the specific topics that you're talking about, but really what it seems to me to be about from having read your books and, you know, looking at what you do, it's about reclaim, you know, we talked about this idea of Englishness on the, on, on when we were emailing and stuff and, but really like how you want to live your life, isn't it? That's, and, and and the permission that society gives you to live your life and how that's mm. becoming ever more narrowed, you know, mm. and mm. the importance of, of kind of saying, well, actually, you know it doesn't have to be that binary there are other options that, that that equally have roots in this you know this nebulous concept if you like of englishness or would you would you think that's a, a fair comment
0: yeah uh, i mean it seems to me that what we're fighting with the right to roam campaign is not uh land ownership uh but a sort of commonly held orthodoxy that land ownership is the only alternative yeah exactly and this is why margaret thatcher's phrase there is no alternative tina as it was nicknamed uh becomes just so chilling like who the fuck has the right to tell anyone that there is no alternative to the life you know that they're the life they're living is outside of the alternative so a mate of ours, uh, Paul Powsland from Lawyers for Nature, uh, was once castigated by a security guard for um, climbing some London sculpture or something like that. And the security guard came out and said, with Paul right at the top of the statue, you can't do that. And Paul, <laughs> obviously looking down from him, says, well, quite clearly, I can. <laughs> yeah, because you know, like, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm the, the only reason you're telling me I can't do that yeah. is because I literally am doing that. Yeah. Uh, and if you extrapolate that out to, you know, the whole Matthew Paris thing, that very paternalistic, very, um, you know, sort of cold in, or, or blinkered in how patronizing it is, that sense that, you know, with love from his heart, he would tell uh, Gypsy Roma traveler parents uh, that they were doing a disservice to their children by raising them in a world that just didn't, make space for them kind of thing
1: yeah so this is just to just for reference we were talking about matthew paris presenter of great lives He's yeah just been on great it was lives, on yeah. a couple of days we, before before recording we were just we it. were just swapping notes on uh on, on matthew ex-tory mp and we were we were basically saying the contradiction of in his case somebody who's like for example a great advocate for gay rights yeah. and in in many ways stonewall i mean it, yeah exactly you know. and, in, and in many ways like a real advocate for for culture for you know, but at the same time, writing columns like that, you know, we were just sort of talking, weren't we, about like the contradiction of that, and 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 like you say, to, to to step back on the wider theme, and this is obviously one of the things I wanted to speak to you about with your work and and the Deakin connection and all this. Like, I mean, the choices these things, you know, like if you if you look at what's going on in the country right now, with the energy crisis and you know the strikes, they're political choices. You know, mm. the idea that there's no money, for example, in this country is fucking laughable. I mean, I've yeah. just walked up this river you know like Mm. there's there's clearly money around you know
0: there's i tell you what though if we were to kayak down this reach of the river i could point out to you the arms traders uh the oil merchants exactly like you cannot buy property uh with a beautiful river running through it unless you fucked some other land somewhere yeah exactly just
1: which is another really important part of your book actually which i'd like to get to because that, that's all rooted isn't it in this idea of ownership and who the land belongs to as well but bringing it back to what we're talking about this strain of of freedom and and the, the right to choose which is you know the right to roam is obviously a, a an element of that yeah it's about it seems to me um saying well no i don't agree with that like there's an there's another way and mm. just because you tell me that i can't go on this land because of decisions that were made Hundreds of years ago, in, in favor of the of the wealthy, mm. why should we put up with that now? Yeah, you know, like it's that that doesn't necessarily mean it's fit for purpose, and it becomes a debate, doesn't it, about like, well, who's this land for? Yeah, like what's it, a- and what is it for exactly? And that's why I find are I really we turning fast-
0: profit for individuals, or are we uh, celebrating and encouraging our natural diversity and habitats? And and that's
1: why I find your work so fascinating because, in, especially in the book of trespass, it's a really. Compared to Roger Deacon, it's obviously a bit more militant. You know, it's obviously a bit more forthright, let's say. Militant's the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Because Deacon's vision is gentler, clearly. You know? Yeah,
0: I think... Well, he wasn't directly... Well, I think what I was trying to do in the Book of Trespass was basically write a pastiche of what Deacon made popular and McFarlane made popular, which yeah. is the kind of psychogeographic, usually white middle-class Easily male... Easily Walks through. Yeah, yeah no, not necessarily a parody, but I wanted to smuggle... Basically, no one was sure at the publishers at Bloomsbury whether I was Owen Jones on a soapbox <laughs> in a Rob McFarlane anorak, or if I was Rob McFarlane yeah. on an Owen Jones soapbox.
1: Yeah, because it's because it has got that kind of the book has you know it's you can read it as the Salt Path if you want. You can read right. it as you can read it as that you, you you're spot on, aren't you? That kind of very popular genre of middle class white fiction where it's essentially like you say, and I, when I said parodable, I meant. It is easy to parody there's those things, in it. you know, yeah. like, yeah. um, and there's, there was actually a pretty funny article a couple of years ago, which you probably saw about that, like the problem with middle-class nature writing sort of mm. thing. But mm. anyway, like you could read it like that, but, but like I say, there's a, there's a harder edge to your, like you say, as you've, what you've smuggled in there is, is a, is actually quite confrontational in a lot of ways, I think in terms of yeah. making people think about this topic of what the land, like you say, what, who's it for? and What's it for?
0: But, I mean, the really, just on a personal basis, the really tricky thing with that is if you come at land ownership with the aggression that it comes at you with, you know, uh, with the verbal equivalent of barbed wire, shotguns, and red-faced gamekeepers, you know, the anger and the aggression. If we went on to land with barbed wire and shotguns to free the land, which, you know, as this campaign gets increasingly more sort of entrenched in the minutiae and the kind of, now now we're in Westminster, basically. The campaign has been that successful that we're now talking to Labour and Green and mm. Conservatives. Yeah. And this is where the mud starts to really cling to your welly boots. It's kind of, this is where it gets like, you have pr- to prevaricate and water down everything you say for fear. Just because we're courting Middle England and Middle England... Uh, just sort of bow to the words of Piers Morgan yeah. that wants to talk more about XR people owning TVs than, you know, us drowning in <laughs> ice water in yeah. the next uh, 10 to 50 years. So if you if you come at them with the anger uh, that you feel for the injustice, uh, you're not going to get anywhere. So the hardest thing, that's why I put pretty drawings in the Book of Trespass because I was just aware that people would be like, Oh, so who's this job? This entitled job,
1: the trots are here, you know. Yeah, I mean, come, that's that, yeah, that's yeah, the thing comes you hear. Is red eyed comic. you know. Oh, here um, we go, you know. Yeah, like, and and if I were to come, you know, specifically
0: the you know, the big guardian piece that uh, the publishers sort of wooed. The Guardian journalists, you know, when your book's released, yeah, you've yeah. got these big things at the press. Yeah, come
1: do. and meet the new Rob McFarlane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And,
0: and they, they take this sort of, uh, on our what, Right to Roam WhatsApp group, I'm, I'm known as Pound Shop. Who am I? Pound Shop Mallory or someone. Uh, <laughs> just because, you know, that Guardian, they, they want a vision. They just took a picture of me looking, you know, over the horizon. Yeah. Like some sort of, you know, white colonialist kind of you know, this epic kind of thing. All of that fluff. But if I had come out to them and said from the off that I am, if I was going to be pinned to any political affiliation, uh, an anarchist, I believe in shared power, I believe in shared responsibility, and I believe in the power of the people uh, to create the world uh, that they want, I would have been dismissed. The whole campaign would have been dismissed. Yeah, you you
1: wouldn't have got in the room.
0: Yeah, I say this is not a revolution. We're not trying to um you know uproot the aristocracy we're simply trying to focus on the health benefits of nature
1: yeah but you didn't sugar the pill too much though because there are sections in the book for example where you're like you know lighting fires yeah smoking weed you know and, and i read a few reviews of um from kind of more right leaning things where they were a bit like uh you know well he's scuppered his torpedoed his message a bit there by you know like, yeah, but I guess that was probably an intentional thing, right? Because, like you say, it's I about... thought long and hard yeah, about whether but, I was going to take MDMA
0: but... in the book, or <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't think long and hard about whether I was going to take, but Manny. whether
1: you're going to put it in the in the book, but, yeah. yeah, because
0: yeah. it does undermine uh, because of the orthodoxy that people have with drugs. But and if also, I take MDMA, I I contextualize it by saying what MDMA effectively was invented for, which was empathy you know um, and mates of mine that have been uh wounded in afghanistan one mate in particular it's not Prince Harry is it? off, sorry it's not Prince Harry
1: is it it's not Prince <laughs> Harry he didn't get wounded did he he <laughs>
0: killed 25 I don't know we should talk about Prince Harry because I we'll quite do, like look, Prince Harry. I quite like
1: him we'll do that at the end he's yeah.
0: killing the monarchy for us yeah we'll do, it. We'll so do that at that the end he's, he's
1: the sleeper agent isn't he yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no what I was going to say is like you you know you you kind of when you say you contextualized it by talking about what it was, but also you, you know, it's again, it's about, it comes down to this like disingenuousness that we were talking about earlier as well. Like, which is ultimately that is what people do, you know, like, and there's, there's, there's no point in, in hiding from that, you Mm. know, like that is what people will do with the land. Like that is, that is how people use land. It's not that they aren't fucking hunting or, you know, like the, 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 the kind of acceptable forms of, of recreational land use, you know? Yeah. Like, so, so why not say that you know and the other thing i was going to say is like the other orthodoxy is when it comes to activism when it comes to 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 you know changing minds and and, and bringing people with you there's always this kind of idea that you've got to be a centrist you know you've mm. got to find the middle mm. ground you know you've got to mm. um and I, so i'm just interested in that path that you plotted there because i think mm. you you kind of like you say you 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 weren't completely like, hey, this is what I actually believe. But equally, you, did, you didn't make it completely comfortable for people.
0: No. Well, I wanted to, yeah, I, I wanted to smuggle myself onto their bookshelves yeah. with, you know, uh sort of uh, crystalline prose and uh, poignant adjectives and all of the shit that sells nature books at yeah. the moment kind of thing. Just, you know, the the beauty of the dew drop off the blade of grass and the poetry of this and that and the mist and rah, rah, rah. Um, And then actually uh, use that as a way of um, talking about this weird acceptance that the English have. Because, you know, it started here. You know, like, uh, of course, Portugal, uh, Belgium, Spain, you know, they were colonialists as well. Uh, But our our need to go and exploit the land and the labor of other peoples uh, came from the fact that our land and people were initially exploited in England. You know, our working class uh, communities, our common land were all enclosed. And with the money that they siphoned from the Commonwealth into their private pockets, they then had the money to charter ships to go and uh, kidnap West Africans.
1: and and am i right if am i remembering this rightly that it was just a completely cynical like you know that that's wealth we could co-opt the land basically the commons Mm. you know so we're just going to give that to the wealthiest it's just am i remembering this correctly like that it was basically carved up and awarded to like wealthy people and at that at that point the class structure of the country essentially changed it's where we are now isn't it mm. now that's the am, am I remembering this right It seems like that Lord, was the path that it, that, on, on, on a it lot settles of instances on you
0: know the lords already owned the land it's just and this is crucial like uh i don't really care about who owns the land it's the way that we define ownership that is so debased and inhumane to uh you know the ninety nine percent of us that don't have the luxury of owning land. So the Lords already owned it. It's just the commoners had rights to subsist off it. Yeah. When enclosure came along, uh, whether it was done legally or by brute force kind of thing, they put the fences up and they made it uh, a hanging offence to, you know, to hunt. Whereas at exactly the same time, hunting became a recreational pastime, which is why we've got just all over the country, uh, deep pits of rotting pheasant bodies because the you know, the investment bankers that pay five hundred quid to come and fill a bag full of pheasant corpses for fun. There's there's no infrastructure there to send them out to the food banks so that everyone's eating roast pheasant down at the you know local corn exchange. Uh they just we weren't allowed or working class communities were banned from uh subsisting autonomously by creating their own by planting their own uh veg and by letting their cows go to pasture by make you know keeping bees by hunting and that was replaced by the aristocracy sort of aping that subsistence necessity but doing it so that they could chuck all the food uh in a big rotten heap and we found it guy shrubsole and his mates down in Totnes they did a, a trespass of the Duke of Somerset's land just to make the point that here is all of this woodland with paths going through it that the public are banned from. Why are they banned from it? Pheasant shooting, you know, health and safety. We don't want to shoot a peasant. We'd rather shoot a pheasant. Um, <laughs> so keep the peasants out. What a slogan. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but But while they were there, someone, I think, went for a piss. Uh, behind a bush and found just this kind of um midden grave yeah, yeah yeah and it is appalling and they have the gall to tell us that we are the threat to biodiversity yeah and that's what really you know this is when it gets hard to bite your lip and be quaint and radio for a middle class yeah because 200 years ago they'd have just gone and burnt the mansion down <laughs> and i'd you know i can't I just can't be but I'm just saying from a personal point of view, it is quite hard to keep your belt on. Yeah. In these situations yeah. because the the stifling orthodoxy of it in the face, it's almost like people cannot see that pit of pheasants because it's so normal. There's yeah. a bit in the Book of Trespass where I talk about the myriad razor fences that went round Greenham Common. And people are talking about all these dirty, filthy lesbians that are, like, lowering the tone of the area. And the journalist that's there writing about this is amazed that they look out the window and they see the women protesters as the abnormality. And the fence has become so normalized, this sort of three-tier... Razor fence with the U.S. Marines, yeah, and fucking and 197 F-111 warheads. missiles
1: behind behind yeah. it, yeah. How is that normal? Well, yeah, people I mean,
0: being on common land protesting for the rights of children to be able to live is seen as abnormal.
1: And would you would you say that's the legacy of the of the original shift in power that the enclosure represents? You know, like like what the status quo that you describe in the orthodoxy as you describe it. I mean. I'm just reading at the minute George Monbiot's, like Regenesis. You know, have you read mm. that? And he's got the opening yeah. chapter about soil. Yeah. And that's obviously what that's about, isn't it? That opening chapter is obviously about like we take this for granted and look at the wonder of this, you know, like and whenever he's on TV, he's George Moonbat, isn't it? You know, mm. like and mm. you know what I mean? Like it's it's what they it's mm. what they sort of throw at you, this yeah, this kind of um you know, look at the lesbians on green and common yeah. thing. Yeah. But do you see that orthodoxy is like the legacy of that's what that's where we are now because of those decisions that were made with the land and like that that's what's led to this orthodoxy
0: i think so uh let's not forget that most of the unorthodox people uh were were just simply killed you know back in the good old days where you could get rid of a dissenter by uh, calling them a witch and hanging them yeah uh you know i think there's something to be said that uh repeatedly the orthodox Systems find ways of uh, either killing or, in a more modern day, ruining uh, people that they uh, find problematic.
1: We're back on Prince Harry already. Let's let's get. Let's it. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I, we could do this whole hour on Prince Harry. I watched that Netflix. We'll do, we'll, shit. we'll do the bonus. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, because there, there's something my girlfriend paused that. Uh, anyway, there, there's there was one five second piece in. Uh, the whole of that netflix shit that we watched um that is arguably the most chilling thing that's been aired on telly but keep listening yeah yeah we'll get to that yeah we'll, we'll get, to, get, at the get the end. to that yeah yeah
1: um so the right to roam obviously you're hugely involved in this um, yeah. i mean do you call it a campaign is that what you, how do you describe it
0: oh well movement sounds bigger and more exciting yeah like how do you uh, how do
1: you describe it and what's the actual goal what you what you try to achieve So
0: uh, on a a political level, uh, we're looking for an extension of the Countryside and Rights of Way Act uh, to include much, much more than the 8% of land that arguably is so distant from the majority of the English population that it's worthless anyway. You know, not everyone can afford the rail fare or the overnight stays uh, to get up to the Peak District kind of thing. Um, But we're looking to extend it to rivers because currently we're not allowed to swim or kayak on ninety seven or paddleboard on ninety seven percent of our rivers and we're looking to extend it to um, woodland uh, downland and and basically we're looking that this year's part of the campaign is like where are the areas of land that are most that would benefit the most amount of people um, and so that's what we're trying to do we're looking for a change in legislation something very similar to the Scottish yeah uh a right to roam thing uh whereby it's not just you know even on the 8% of land that we have a right to roam over we don't have the right to camp on it yeah absurdly if you uh get to the top of kinder peak or something it's a boiling hot day and you go by mermaid's pool on the way down or whatever uh and you think i'll have a dip uh you you become a trespasser uh by swimming now, swimming is the least impactful, the most serene, the most glorious, the, the evidence, the stacked-up evidence of the benefits of cold water on your mental health, your immune system, arthritis, the ability to regulate temperature for those that are experiencing the menopause. Like, it's, un, you know, it's, the evidence is stacked up of how absurd it is that it is uh, uh, breaking the law to swim in a river. Now, of course, part of the campaign has become uh, how this disconnect that has become normalized, this shifting baseline that we're not allowed to swim in rivers, um, how that has actually affected the environment around us. Because without a connection to nature, we're not going to miss it as it depletes and deteriorates. But if we all had a personal connection to our local river, our local woodland, when they get to start chewed down for HS2 or um, if people are just, the Duke of Buccleuch is currently up in Kettering in Northamptonshire cutting down 10 acres of woodland so we can put up five warehouses. Right. See, it's fucking land. So the law's like, what? You know, there's nothing for us to. Yeah, yeah. But that is, to I would say to a lot of the locals, that is as close to sacred uh, a place you know much more than church uh that they're cutting down for all the mental health benefits for the memories the yeah. activities the children's birthday parties i don't know the you know the butterfly enthusiasts the uh the moth enthusiasts the people that care about nature that's
1: that's all been cleansed well also to concrete you're being told it's worthless or, which yeah. is the bigger message you know that that five warehouses are more important than the collective community use of that space. Yeah.
0: And, and they will say there's benefits, you know, the benefits are, well, you get to work um, in a warehouse for, yeah. for minimum wage. Exactly. You get a zero <laughs> but you hour contract. We you can't you strike. 10 hours a yeah. day. You can't strike. Yeah. yeah. We're creating job opportunities. Yeah. They're creating, sl- well, servants.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, you're on Matt Pycroft, who's a friend of mine who does the intros actually on his podcast. And I really liked yeah. that. Um, point you made about lockdown about the beaches you were talking about like how um the culturally diverse well just the fact i mean it's 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 the it's the shepherding of human leisure caused by this enclosure in action isn't it you know like as you pointed out like right we can all go outside and it's a hot day so basically the entire south of england went to like two beaches because that's where because that's where you're allowed to go the
0: amount of woods and rivers that they would have that you would have passed yeah you know so you're just
1: getting and and not only and i think we we're, we're also trained to think they're not places for us as well because it's so you know historically um forceful, this convention isn't it you know mm. so you cuz even reading your book i was i mean you know you have to guess my politics um and like I, you know i i was quite shocked at times weirdly you know mm. because i'm because i'm so trained really to think like that oh wow he's climbing over the you know, the the when you go into the estate in Dorset, the famous one with the, you know, like... Oh, Drax is... Oh, exactly, yeah. You know, We're a, coming he, for him again, by he's the a, way. He's a plantation owner. Well, they're after him for compensation in Jamaica, aren't they? I read yeah. recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think he's... um, Well, he's the pantomime villain of the whole movement. You know, I yeah. can imagine the poor love feels very <laughs> downtrodden. <laughs> the poor rich, um, yeah, you th- know. I mean, but these these rich people are very delicate like but also known... they they seem
1: baffled as well i think yeah. that's, that's something that comes across they just they just seem to be like what like what? well they've
0: had it for so long but that's their the things are changing that's their
1: training in the same way it's my training you know what mm. i mean like societal mm. like convention has led me to think oh he's climbing his fence oh well, that's bad yeah and and he's like how you know not even like how dare they it's almost like what like they're they're challenged because you see that with interactions with you and Guy Shrubsole on Twitter, for example, you know, when you'll always get the same voices going like you know, like fundamentally like ideologically like what what are they, what are you even talking about? Yeah. Like the idea yeah. that you can come on our land, you mm. know, like mm. it's it, it it is very, very ingrained, isn't it? This yeah. whole this whole kind of dynamic.
0: Yeah, and it's um it's not people's fault either. It uh has benefited uh people for it to become Trodden into the ground you know it's so that you can't see it anymore it's become uh like embedded George Monbiot calls it talking about environmental destruction like shifting baselines it is you know if uh I was born with twenty five percent less nightingales singing in these local valleys and my kids will be born uh, with fifty uh, percent less than that, then at some point in the generation you're going to forget that Nightingale's ever existed. And so you're not going to miss them. And you'll have missed the boat to save them because they're gone. And it's the same with this, like uh, with enclosure. and We have never experienced uh, common rights. We've never experienced the shared responsibility that locals have, used to have, should have, uh, to protect the nature of our local area. Because we don't see it. We see... You walk along the, just across the river over there, uh, the, we would, yeah, we mentioned it earlier, the, you know, the arms dealer that owns, uh, you know, God knows actually how many uh, hundreds of acres there. Uh, There's a path across his land, but it's um, six foot chain link fences and barbed wire on the top of each one. We've got these corridors. And can we not divorce this notion that we could be able to wander through the woods that we can see without, you know, your right wing people that attack old shrub soul and me on Twitter. um, will use words like trampling or stomping. If you
1: actually like.
0: Well, they always talk trampling. about lighting
1: fires. They always talk about this. Yeah. They always say the same objections. Basically. But then the
0: lighting fires is a good example because that shows how readily acceptable we have become or we've you know how we, we've we sort of accepted this infantilization of perfectly competent yeah. adults yeah, yeah like yeah. you're basically saying no one should have the right to light fires including the surgeons that are allowed to operate on people's hearts <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you know the the yeah. biomedical engineers or the like we're not the knobs the the sort of idiots yeah that they say and and of course there are some there will be the odd but one we but count, uh, in, those idiots yeah if you give them the education yeah and you give them and you embed them in nature from an early uh like i might like that give people a personal relationship with nature and they're not going to commodify it as they've been taught to by every fucking billboard or advert in town by every by the, the 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 culture of this society yeah is just like commodity take it drop it doesn't matter kind of thing yeah there is something more sacred out there and that is nature but we're killing it because we don't have a relationship with
1: it i mean that's the argument that's being used in the is it this sort of test case in in dartmoor right now you know, there's this guy who's trying to stop people. Yeah, the Darwells. Uh, yeah, and that's yeah. that's the line of argument that's being used there, isn't it? Basically, like, this paternalistic, like, well, pe- we just can't trust people to be responsible, you know? like, yeah. So, therefore, we're going to ban everyone.
0: Centuries of camping on Dartmoor. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, um, it's self-evidently guff as well. They're, I mean, their plans are to install a pheasant and deer hunting, uh, you know, business kind of thing uh actually the court so the scenario is that uh dartmoor is the only place in england that we are allowed to wild camp and that is uh has been brought to court uh because the darwells have recently bought it uh and they are challenging the right of people to wild camp and the i don't know when this podcast comes out but we're speaking on Thursday, the whatever the date it is. What I don't are even we? Twelfth. Like the dog we? days
1: are in it, so it's like, yeah. oh God, what day is it anyway? Oh so appropriately
0: enough, yeah, the um the reading will come out on Friday the thirteenth. And by all accounts it's looking very, very negative indeed. It's looking like the Darwells will be able to ban really wild camping in Dartmoor. We don't know until tomorrow, but that's the way it's looking. Right. So that's the last shred, that's the orthodoxy that wild camping is irresponsible. Uh finally setting into stone. And that makes it to chip away at that edifice ever harder kind yeah. of thing. But we'll be responding by raising the ginormous crocken. I don't know if you. I'd never heard of the. Clocking, I don't know what but a these are is, Locals no. of Dartmoor that are. Right. He's an old. Uh, I th- he sounds to me a bit like a giant, but he's connected to Hearn, who I talk about in the book. Yeah. By this notion of the wild hunt, which yeah. is this sort of ghostly energy that uh, manifests itself in like loads of headless horse people, like riding through. The streets of France before the French Revolution or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, he's like half made of granite. His eyebrows are made of sedge. He's got eyes like deep, dark, peaty pools of rainwater. And, you know, he's a good old ghoul. And um, I think connected to our Esme Bogart campaign. I was about to bring this doing... up.
1: I was about to bring this up because it reminds me. This also, before you get into that, also kind of connects to this strain of Englishness that we're talking about this, mm. this strain of folklore mm. this kind of you know I'm sure you know Ben Myers like he of course he, yeah, yeah. You know, in his work he's really like and Ben Wheatley yeah, as well the English exactly. horror exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, you movie. know this kind of I mean it's it's kind of director
0: of the Wicker Man lived five minutes The Wicker away. Man the classic
1: but this yeah. kind of like pagan folk strain of English history which are, again is you, you you definitely nod to in your work quite explicitly, right? And, and I'm imagining again, this is like a bit of a reclamation of the notion of Englishness, right? Of what it can, what it's, of of what it can be.
0: I'd, yeah, when I was banging on about Hearn in the Book of Trespass, I'd, I got to a point in the writing where I was like, well, I have to sort of actually explain in what way this is a counter movement. You know, telling these stories of Hearn or the Boggets or you know the old crocken down in Dartmoor. They're just stories. Like, yeah. in what way am I trying to really t- say, or what in what way can I, you know, back up that these are counter narratives to the narrative of uh, exclusive ownership of land, kind of thing? And the answer is because they're stories of belonging. You know, the telling of the story embeds you within the landscape. The listening of the story imbues that landscape with an extra kind of electricity. And um, we've been so sort of scared uh, uh, of the irrational or the unscientific or the kind of um, uh, anthropomorphism or, you know, like don't project onto animals or something like that. But I actually think there's a huge power in projecting our imagination onto the landscape uh, because we could do so much better than monoculture maize, which is what they're doing on the Maple Durham estate, this Esme Bogart campaign. There are a myriad of ways that we can use the land. And these old stories, I think, represent that uh, or, or try and evoke in some way that kind of spooky, that that feeling of a higher being yeah. when you are on the moors at midnight kind of thing. You well, know.
1: What really struck me about the Esme Boggart thing, well, I'll, I'll get you to explain the particulars in a second, but... It 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 was very belittling of the of the goals of these people in by by the story that you're choosing to tell to make this protest mm. because it because it just makes what they're doing look so short sighted and trivial. It is um, though, and of it's, course it is, and it's of course financial course
0: it is. gain at all costs. Yeah, of course it is, but because like the world drowns.
1: But right, ra- you know, but rather than you know saying like get off, you know, like we want, you know, what I mean, like you could do, mm. you could protest that in a in. in any number of ways mm. but the way that you've chosen to to do it by mythology by connecting it to these english stories to mm. to to connecting it to this line of culture that is that that is you know not the orthodoxy as we're discussing gave it a real power i think you know it, it really it, it really sort of showed the short-sightedness of it mm. sightedness of it and and kind of the triviality of it really you know and and the impact on real people but, ex, but explain what that because that's a real interesting test case isn't it for your work and this right to rome stuff and this land ownership thing like so explain yeah. explain the situation in the esme Bob got well of. it's
0: kind of a splinter off the right to rome none of the other right to rome i should just say actually that uh me and guy started right to rome but we've got now uh about eight people working on it. It's way more diverse than the, you know, two white middle class, Oxbridge, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and to be honest, that's as much by accident as just having come across brilliant people. So we've got, I don't know, Amy Jane Beer, Nadia Sheik, Paul Powsland, John Moses, Harry Jenkinson. they're all um, sort of part of this core now. And that's what we wanted from the off. We didn't want it to be this kind of... We had to, because the only reason the campaign worked... Or, or began was because we had this kind of media coverage because of our books. So they slapped the photos of us looking yeah. pound shop noble on the, <laughs> you know, on, on and, and and then so it becomes about us. But actually, uh, we've we're anarchists. So we've broadened. Uh, you know, there's no one power source anymore, and 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 the diversity of ideas that has come as a result of that is just giving us the momentum. We'll need to take it over the line. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But Esme Bogger, I just came up here a couple of years ago on the boat uh, and just uh, moored my boat in front of um, just a couple of families that uh, um, had boats there. And uh, uh, we kind of just became friends instantly. And then um, Nick and Emma and their five children, uh, they lived just uh, up on the other side of the valley, um, almost overlooking the river on the Maple Durham Estate. Uh, which is about two and a half thousand acres almost entirely of monoculture maize, which they feed to the cows that never see the light of day, which just shit in uh, to tubes, which just gets piped down to the maize fields on the floodplains to fertilize the otherwise barren soil that has been you know depleted by monoculture kind of thing it 's this weird Ouroboros. it 's a nihilistic act. And they're squeezing money. It's not particularly a good business plan either. You know, it's just that they don't have the creativity to think of something different. But they're evicting our mates, Nick and Emma. Nick and Emma happen to be uh, at the center of this very vibrant, very weird, idiosyncratic Reading bohemia, rural bohemia, uh, that basically populate all of the local festivals, all of the music, you know, the poetry. the um, And essentially, the Maple Durham estate, the manor at the house of it is three stories tall. It's this ginormous red brick kind of castle. It's completely empty. And they're evicting our uh, basically seven mates, Nick, Emma and their five kids, from a three-bedroom cottage because they want to renovate it. And then basically what will happen as it happens around the country, they'll rent it to uh holiday couples from uh London yeah. or their Airbnb it or and <clears throat> the, the the thrust of this campaign has always been not the psychological, emotional, and you know, just pragmatic impact of eviction from a family that have lived there for twenty six years not the sort of injustice of the power imbalance that these absentee landlords that live 40 minutes away in East Hendred are able to just pluck deus ex machina, this family that is connected. But it's the impact on the community itself. We are a thriving arts community. I should have turned my phone ah, off, not <laughs> It's all
1: good. Everyone's used to that on this. Yeah, come on, <laughs> that's real life. That is. <laughs> um,
0: we are a thriving rural arts community. And Nick is a woodcarver and uh, and basically actually a kind of social artist. He's been working for the last seven years in a deprived area in Whitley, uh, just a forgotten area of Reading, kind of thing. Yeah. And his whole work has been like creating these kind of carnivals of celebration of belonging.
1: Yeah. Uh, he he gives a lot more room, to the community than this fucking maze. Yeah. Than
0: Lord Edward Blount Easton. Yeah. Uh, who's you know, affairs have been conducted by Savills, arguably the darkest force in England at the moment, other yeah. than you know Shell and BP and blah blah blah. But um, Savills are pretty fucking blandly evil. You know, there there is a bland horror to the power that they wield over communities, kind of thing. Um, and so largely because a lot of the people involved in the campaign are also tenants of uh, or even some workers of the maple durham estate uh none of us wanted uh we needed a pseudonym we needed to go anonymous yeah and there's this long heritage in english uh revolt yeah of uh you know captain swing or captain pouch or uh uh king Jan- king john was the one uh they used in this area with the the black riots where they they basically uh just Poached, but didn't even bring the deer back home. They just, uh, in broad daylight, like jumped over the walls and just killed as many deer as they could. They were, they were using this pseudonym, and so we chose Esme Boggart because Nick's from Yorkshire, and the Boggart is quite associated with Yorkshire, and just because it sounds like a, a powerful witch's name, and this is witchery because. They've got all the land. They've got the monopolistic or monopolistic control over the lives of people. But we're artists, and we've got something that they just... And we've got it in spades, and they don't have it. And that's the ability to communicate with charisma. Yeah. And so we bought up advertising space in the local newspapers, and we wrote them an open letter. Nick and Emma had written them a private letter, which was just dismissed. But because we'd written them an open letter... Uh, and we did it with pretty pictures, like sort of Book of Trespass kind of thing. Something to grab people's eyes and attention. That caught their attention and they had to reply and the BBC got involved. We held a fete on the day they were supposed to be evicted where we got a load of the artists together to welcome people in. Free cake, free tea... Uh, you know had a rave by the evening it was great we are a community Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's not for me to say yeah 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 Uh, (laughs) Esme Boggart is uh, very liberal when it comes to uh, empathy I'm sure Esme's right on (laughs) yeah but no but the more the point we got Nicola Chester uh, to come along because she's local and she's this incredible uh, woman but just a brilliant writer who's written a book called On Gallows Down, which is precisely about the the conflict between the notions of ownership and the notions of belonging. Um, and she'd and we raised this 30-foot effigy of Esme Boggart and burnt it, uh, and the rags on the scaffold frame are still standing, you know, this is the only family in history I know that has been evicted and responded by raising the 30 foot (laughs) effigy of a witch, which now looks out over the land. And it's, it's quite scary, I think. And it has really unsettled the Maple Durham estate because they were used to the mechanism of aristocracy whereby thy will be done. Yeah. You just get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell you what, tomorrow we are, we've, today the uh we've got our second letter out in the reading chronicle and the oxford times i yeah. haven't seen it yet uh but tomorrow we're delivering it on an old gypsy cob uh with flaming torches to the front doors of the maple durham estate but what we'll also be doing is going to bucklebury which is more where i grew up that's kind of about five miles away uh away from the river and by the river pang which is a tributary to the thames here that we're on now um Because bloody Pippa Middleton, Rear of the Year, Princess of Wales, (laughs) uh, you know, sister. P-Middy.
1: Sorry? (laughs) P-Middy. Oh, is that her? That was it it for a while, wasn't it? Oh, well, I quite like that. (laughs) (laughs) I do love those little, you know,
0: the sun doing their their magic. yeah. Uh, But they've just bought a 15 million pound. um, Of course they have. Well, because, you know, she's like um, boring money too. She's married to... uh, I mean, they're an incredibly wealthy family. They live in Bucklebury, where a load of my mates grew up. Um, uh, and they've just, and she's married to some, I don't know, what's more evil than investment banking? There's one, I can't remember specifically what he is, but anyway, and they're um, evicting tenants so that they can expand. Uh, what well, I mean, they want to build a Olympic-sized swimming pool, uh, and but they want, to uh, basically hollow out, they've bought this 15 million pound pile and it includes tenants and they're evicting the tenants, some of whom have lived there for 40 years. Wow. And just juicily, some of whom are a children's hospice for children who have experienced trauma and are kind of diagnosed with like two or three weeks out in the country to kind of recover. Right. They're not going to have that opportunity now because rear of the year once
1: maybe they could become lifeguards at the 50 meter pool yeah on, that, well, that'd on, be nice. on minimum wage and here are our <laughs> orphans <laughs> yeah, yeah and
0: it's i i just can't believe so we'll be going there tomorrow um and uh doing something quite like we've got loads of photos uh you fuck with weird magic when you fuck with community and a picture of a burning man loads of sort of uh, sort of artwork pertaining to Esme Boggart and the message and the slogans kind of thing. And we're going to deco- decorate Bucklebury, their home village, with that. And there is a certain kind of schism that happens in a quaint English, la very conservative, big C, little c uh, village when you start putting up raggy <laughs> socialist propaganda. Yeah, Especially no doubt. When we're framing it all as a hex, well, that's or a what. Curse.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it and it it's so jarring. Like I say, because it isn't your classic load of placards like down with this sort of thing. You know, the classic Father Ted vibe. It's like <laughs> it it it's so much more imaginative, creative, and weird. To be honest, you it's know, weird and, and weird, it's really
0: unsettling. It's
1: powerful. It's powerful yeah. because again, it like. And it's articulate as well, like that's the other thing it's like you can't argue with it like it's well you can you, you can argue with it, you can't dismiss it is what I should say because mm. because there is an articulacy and a and a and a kind of confidence about like well no, we've got to say about this as well mm. that you obviously don't get you know mm. so that that's what gives it its power i think
0: yeah well we um it's about i always used to think that art was just like this kind of um decoration to life and maybe you could help out xr by doing a poster but that was the sum of it and last few years i've started to realize that art is magic and you can change not just uh people's opinions on things but you can change the fabric of reality you know someone created the normalcy or the normality of uh being excluded from every woodland that you walk by kind of thing in the same way and they did that by signs basically graphic design
1: yeah
0: red well they did it lock. by a
1: story if we take it even, exactly if we if we take it that's it if we it, it, this is a, another strain of this theme of this is it's about the stories we tell isn't it you yeah know? and that and that that's just a story isn't it it's yeah. that's almost what i meant when i was set, early on when i was saying like these are choices yeah you know? like that they're, they're just stories that we tell each other that become orthodoxy
0: And that's... And and what one of the Esme Bogart things is, you know, we know where the seps grow in autumn. We know where the ramsons grow in spring. We have memories here. Who the fuck are you to come in with, uh, you know, Pippa Middleton, uh, to come in with your 15 million pounds um, and tell us that we can't go and gather those ramsons in spring again because we've been evicted? Like we belong here and you have now bought the land. So you own it, but we belong to it. And actually our story is stronger because it's shared by a lot more people. It's got deeper roots. Um And the interesting thing about eviction, more even than the right to roam or access kind of thing, that it, um, it really cuts through class boundaries as well. Like there's lots of people... Uh, who might vote conservative that see the inherent injustice of locals being uprooted kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So we've got a lot more leeway with this because fundamentally Nick and Emma are resigned to the fact that at some point they are going to have to leave. Yeah. Yeah. It's been six months now uh, since they were sent the letter. Uh, They should have been out uh, on November the 26th. It's likely that we're going to resist for a whole year, but what we want to do is make this an artistic a work of art basically that's we're we're artists and musicians and poets and writers, so we're going to make this protest a work of art, and we are going to roll up our sleeves and no holds barred, like you know we're going on a on an old gypsy horse to with flames yeah. to to, to <laughs> go and drop off the newspaper, yeah tomorrow. yeah. Why the fuck not? Let's make pictures. Let's show people that yeah. there is another way. Whilst also, you know, making sure that Nick and Emma and their children aren't homeless. Yeah. Kind of thing. So it's a double-pronged approach. And this is what I see the Esme Boggett thing is. On, on the one side, there's the protest and there's the reactionary side to it. No, we belong here. You do not have the right. The law says you do, but we, we've got a new law. This is our slogan. The new law is folklore yeah, kind of thing. We've got a new law and uh, belonging is more important than ownership. But the other side of that coin is this beautiful raise the barn concept, which is because we're a community and because we are a self-acknowledged community, if people need help, we will help them. So we're, we're all looking for places for Nick and Emma to stay whilst meeting up and gathering together and having fun whilst we're doing it you know no one actually believed we'd ride a horse with a flaming torch <laughs> up to the doors of maple <laughs> durham until someone said i've got a gypsy cob yeah <laughs> and Whenever... someone said i've just bought some flaming torches." From... <laughs> but anyone got a hood yeah i've got an old you know sort of lord of the rings kind of smock
1: and hood <laughs>
0: well let's just bloody do it <laughs> take some photos put it on twitter see what happens. yeah you know. yeah
1: well we're an hour in and i'm conscious that you uh you're fairly pressed for time so um let's talk about prince harry
0: oh yeah <laughs> i mean it
1: is so fascinating isn't it like he's gone i mean i'm, I'm not going to apologize for talking about this it'll probably date quite quickly because it's very topical but yeah that's that's true but, but know, i don't w- think so w- w- whatever um yeah, but, but the like, queen
0: will be dead now forever yeah that is know? true So that is the end of the monarchy as we know it when yeah. the queen died that was she was winston churchill she was uh union jack bunting uh two world wars and one world cup you know the england fighting with mor- morality on its side.
1: She was the symbol of that. I mean, it brings it back to this idea of Englishness, which is very, which is the other side's. Symbol of Englishness, you know. Well, the second, the, second the fake narrative, second world war metaphors, yeah, Vera Lynn, White Cliffs of Dover, yeah, nineteen sixty six, and all that, you know. And how desperately we've clung
0: through that through Brexit.
1: What got me though when she died was um, naively, I think, in hindsight, like I, I was, in, in, I was staggered by how entrenched that is, like, and 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 across all political um persuasions as well, like the amount of people, you know, the amount of. Fair trade tea bag buying Guardian reading, like pinko liberal mates of mine that were, that were like, you know, limp crying on Instagram, you know, mm. like about mm. how the world. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is a real, you know, this, the, this is deep. Cause I, you know, I, I, I quite like the Queen, you know, yeah, you know, I didn't mind the old baked nice bean, old deer, you know, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> is that what they call It's that Cockney Ryan, <laughs> the, <bait bean? laughs> the old baked bean. Oh, nice.
1: <laughs> but, um, But equally, I was quite able to see that she was the uh, clearly the symbol of a a quite destructive uh, system.
0: (laughs) Well, the figurehead of uh, a genocidal regime. I
1: mean, she's literally wearing the Kohinoor diamond on Mm -hmm. her head. Mm -hmm. You know, like if what more of a metaphor? But as
0: we've discussed before, people can't see that. Yeah, they can't see the illegitimacy of her hat.
1: I mean, what more of a symbol do you need for, like, the... the so, anyway, without going down that road. Cause, yeah. um, So, that's, that's why Prince Harry going rogue is so fascinating, isn't it? You know? Well, Prince Charles is has, useless he at has his gone, job. He has gone rogue, has he? I mean, he's gone full. He's gone full nuclear here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Know? No, but I,
0: I actually see the Netflix documentary and the book as very Esme Bogart energy like he is coming up just like we came up against the maple durham estate he's got sandringham and buckingham and whatever all, all of these kind of different as uh, me
1: boggart if she came from and where's where he from in california <laughs> from... Oh, i don't know yeah 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 oh esme <laughs> you, boggart is borderless you know though, Esme if with, with, uh, no, with a portfolio he... in silicon valley yeah
0: <laughs> but he's using modern communication techniques uh so the book is not modern necessarily but uh, oh, the PR blitz. What is, it's,
1: the PR blitz is 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 remarkable. I think their PR
0: is superior to that of Prince Charles or King. What's it? Oh, he's
1: playing a different game.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, no one likes Prince Charles, and that's going to get worse and worse. And I like worse. like the fact he's
1: still calling him Prince Charles as well. well I, I can't, <laughs> that's but that's
0: the absurd thing. It was sort of all right for us to labour under a sort of patriarchal. Uh, systemic power such as the monarchy when it was a nice old deer yeah. who was the patriarch. But no, it's this But bit. when you've got a sausage-fingered, uh signet-ring-wearing, s- grey-suited old man as the head of the patriarch. With
1: zero empathy or emotional intelligence pretty clearly as well. He's probably...
0: Like, the Although... Thing is, he's probably... They're all people at the end of the day. He's yeah. probably... Some mornings he's a twat, some mornings he's yeah, all right. Fair. The point is that they are the figureheads of... Uh, colonialism. Yeah. Of, uh, you know, and if I was in charge of the PR of Buckingham Palace, Meghan Markle's was this gift that they could still remain imperialist and henceforth racist whilst seeming to embrace uh, a woman from mixed heritage. That would
1: have been a gift.
0: The monarchy, uh, they'd have got another 100 years out of that. Yeah, no, you are right. But they are are dead. They are dead, dead, dead. Uh, and that's why it's so but I mean but okay so watch this fucking six hours of sort of you <laughs> do you know, watch the whole thing yeah <laughs> we did it in two things it was nachos me and my girlfriend we did it like a i got so i drew the trilogy. line
1: my wife was watching it and i was like I, I just don't know if i can watch this really but I
0: might. it is like watching the gunboat the british gunboat sink <laughs> in flames like i can't you know and it was all saccharine and like to be honest megan seems all right you know she seemed like her mum Seems like yeah. just this gorgeous soul.
1: Yeah, the only one that's come out of the whole Farrago with any credit, I would say, the mum. Mm. Yeah.
0: But she's, you know, so whatever, it's not about what they're like as people. But there was this point in the documentary where they go, um, Harry's like coming into England or something. And this is after, you know, they've gone to California or something. It's quite recent. Queen's still alive and he's on the phone to his nan and he says, We're coming to England. Uh, can me and Megan come round? For tea it's probably not a cup of tea yeah but probably you know small sandwiches and biscuits and stuff and the queen goes yeah 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 be nice to see you then two days later they get a call from Sandringham or whatever press office saying unfortunately the queen uh was wrong about her timetable and she's no longer able to see you now who told a nan that is also the head of state like arguably no one tells the queen what to do who told her that it would be a PR catastrophe for the stance of the palace? Yeah, to have for a cup, the
1: queen to, to say, have a cup of tea.
0: Have a cup of tea with her grandson. Yeah, who? Which? Probably Tommy. Faceless. Me off, power? Probably Tommy off the crown. If you've seen. The <laughs> no, phrase. I haven't. Maybe <laughs> Tommy Shelby. I can. <laughs>
1: Tommy's the uh the in the early seasons of the Crown, he's like the the Queen's fixer, you know. Oh right, yeah. okay, yeah. He's he's. But that's he's...
0: what interests me. That you know, the the most powerful person in the country, yeah, is a puppet of yeah a higher system, and that system would be called the monarchy. These PR people would be working for the seemliness of the British monarchy, and it wouldn't be seemly to yeah welcome harry in yeah well I mean, what is that ideology it's it's religion really
1: yeah i mean there's that horrible anecdote as well about them arguing about whose africa is have you seen that one Mm -mm. i mean that is just mad that's out of the book basically where um i was just reading this in in the paper today like um you know they're basically williams supposedly like africa's mine (laughs) you can't have africa (laughs) <laughs> you know like <laughs> to, who? To, harry? to harry you know and harry's like well you but you know like i I love all the the elephants and the rhinos and all the and all the natives you know like i love all that and uh no 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 africa's mine you know and it's just like yeah okay that, Fuck uh, off. that's weird <laughs> see i think i'm
0: prince william's age and my brother is prince harry's age i think so we've always had this or thereabouts kind of thing your team harry i'm team harry but then i'm who who who
1: the fuck isn't team harry i mean come on i mean obviously yeah i mean it it, it's it is a funny one like i do he obviously doesn't give a shit like what what he's just on a mission to like set the record straight as he sees it and you know even the backlash about oh i killed 25 taliban i mean he was on tv in america the night going like that was all bullshit i didn't say that that's the british press again you know he's really he's, oh right yeah, yeah he's, he's really going in
0: well i t- to be honest i see the humans so i, I see a uh, a mother killed by the fairy tale uh story that the press needed to make money yeah. off her life kind of thing and i see her killed by that uh so i i see him on a human level as a son who uh is uh genuinely not reacting against this hor- horrific british tabloid culture um that the whole point and this is an interesting point from what harry's saying has been entirely manufactured by the crown themselves yeah. because they need it because that's how come they're worth 65p of our tax or whatever you know they they take from us all um so i see him i i don't know i see him as someone that wants to changed a system that led to his mother's death but there's also this uh big shakespeare element of it i don't know how well you know uh henry the fourth part two or part one with Falstaff. yeah yeah i know and neither there's... i know
1: the not old man like that, that, yeah that, that's, that's yeah. henry the fourth isn't it yeah. yeah
0: and so prince hal yep. prince harry Was this sort of rakish? Yeah. uh, You know, Shakespeare's version didn't dress up in Nazi costumes and you know smoke spliff uh, in front of the sun photographer. Yeah. But uh, there's this whole narrative that he, like Prince Hal by Prince Henry the Fourth Part Two, becomes comes out of the clouds like the sun rising out of the clouds, and becomes this great head of state kind of thing. Yeah. The worst thing, from my point of view. That could happen is that somehow harry uh does become king because he'll, that, i reckon he'll be a pretty good one fuck
1: me that'd be a plot twist <laughs> yeah but i can i can see it happening
0: Jesus. but i would rather obviously that the monarchy gets trampled into the mud and disintegrates and is destroyed and britain might that might help britain come out of its kind of fantasia of supremacy uh and so you know good old harry he's sort of doing a lot of the legwork <laughs> for that yeah but if i was their pr dude i would make harry you know i would bring him back into the fold and that's the only way the monarchy can survive
1: yeah well there uh, the next move is going to be uh pretty fascinating
0: yeah yeah on a on a sort of dallas kind of i mean you know it's all a load of it, soap opera shit. yeah it's the nation's cost terrible. of living crisis you know yeah but i mean you know like
1: like i said earlier oh there's no money in the country fucking wrong family yeah. yeah there is yeah well yeah. to
0: be honest probably a lot of their money is not in the country is it it's in uh it's, offshore havens. it's and, in uh
1: birdie Ma- bernie madoff's um yeah d- if you've not seen that documentary by the way on netflix I've just started it. oh my god yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay that really, oh that's good news that yeah is. it looked quite tasty oh it is uh <laughs> yeah anyway hey nick i really enjoyed that Thank, oh mate thanks for coming yeah, all thanks, this way i appreciate that thanks so much so there you go. That was me and Nick Hayes, and I hope you enjoyed it. You can find the book of trespass everywhere, and you can find out more about Nick and his work over at his Instagram, Nick Hayes Illustration. That's Hayes with an E. Um, also, head over to write to Rome.org.uk to find out more about that campaign. And to find out more about Esme Bogart, head to justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash Esme E S M E dash Bogart B O G G A R T. All right, thanks for listening to this episode and for supporting Type 2 generally. I release new episodes of Type 2 every month or so through my usual Looking Sideways channel, which you can subscribe to via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can find the entire Type 2 back catalogue And the entire archive of my main Looking Sideways podcast too, which includes well over 200 interviews with some of the biggest names in action sports and other related endeavours. If you want to support what I do, you can head to my website www.wearelookingsideways.com or consider signing up to my Substack as a paid or free subscriber at lookingsideways.substack.com. Substack is the home of the looking sideways community and it's where i post three times a week my much loved 10 things newsletter which goes out every friday my looking sideways and type 2 podcasts which go out every sunday all going to plan and then every tuesday blogs guest posts and open threads where we have conversations about particular episodes bigger themes or i host q and a's with guests with prizes from some of my amazing partners so yeah check it out LookingSideways.substack.com. Alright, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Nice one.